Um, then, uh, yeah, as Lydia says, I'm Tim, I'm the vicar here, and uh, it's really good to, to welcome you. Oh, I'm sounding quite echoey, my end, is that me? Something, oh, there we are, that's a bit better. Thank you so much. Uh, do you want to, in the, if you've got a green Bible, they're on the tables at the sides there, page 994, if you're on a smartphone, a tablet, we're in Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. And uh, I'm going to read in just a moment a familiar account, perhaps a, a number of us here, of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And uh, the reason why I picked this reading, I could have picked a whole load of readings, but this one for today's subject hopefully will become apparent um, as we go along and lead into communion. I'm going to come back to refer to it, I will read it, and come back to refer to it um, uh, towards the end of my talk. But um, can I just say thank you so much to a number of you who were um, uh, kind enough to sort of um, message in and text or tweet or whatever it was um, uh, on Friday. It was, a, it, was, it was an extraordinary day here. Uh, we quickly found ourselves in the middle of a police cordon. In fact, by about 11 o'clock, um, I reckon one of the most secure places to be was probably the vicarage because uh, the tracker dogs and everything sniffed the whole area for um, any other threat. Uh, and we, weren't, we, we kind of weren't allowed out. Um, so it was, it was a surreal day because by Saturday, the whole, the whole place really was sort of back to normal, which is testament to the emergency services. When you see them in action on your doorstep, they are phenomenal. The police, the fire, the ambulance, um, they are incredible uh, what they do. And uh, uh, actually, we had an incredible sort of sympathetic hearing, I think, from the, from the media. The, the world's media kind of descended on Parsons Green. Um, and uh, I, I sort of had a crash course in, in, in sort of engaging with, with them. But it kind of turned out to be quite a good news story, again, for, the, for us, because uh, thankfully no fatalities, but uh, for uh, us here and other churches around and other faith organizations just, just joining in, and the, the story became the kind of community spirit, the community pulling together. Um, which is kind of, it's a sort of segue into what I want to talk about and, and who we are, what we're about. Uh, let me read from Luke 19, and then we'll, let's crack on. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was because he was short. He could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Uh, we're in a little season, just September, as we kind of come back from um, downtime, holiday, uh, as maybe new people join in, wonder, what is this church? What are we about? What's the kind of vision? What are the priorities? Uh, what's your purpose? 
So I'm wanting to take a few weeks, Lydia and I and others, to, to work this through. Uh, and we have our kind of four injunctions. Usually we have them posted up at the front, but we've just rebranded. So we're going to get them printed up. They'll be here shortly. But you'll be able to remember them. Get connected. Get involved. Get giving. Get out to serve. That's not as rude as it sounds. <laughs> we're not called to be a holy huddle in this weird building. Uh, it's good to gather like ships in a harbour for a refit, fresh lick of paint, check the sails, but ships are designed to sail. They're not designed to bob up and down in a harbour. So we, we get connected to God, ultimately, the one who made us. Uh, and because he is a relational being, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God in relation, and we made in his image, we will, we will want, if we connect with him, we will want to connect with one another. It's joining a life group or getting into an accountability group or onto a WhatsApp group that's linked by interest or work or geography. Uh, it's maybe in a little prayer triplet. You make it up. Uh, we have a number of suggestions and offers, but connect to help your connection with the Father through the Son by the Spirit and to connect with one another. And as we connect with one another, inevitably we'll want to get involved. And I was speaking a bit about that last week and I want to kind of follow that up this week. Um, in two weeks' time, we'll, we'll kind of join in with everyone else in terms of harvest. Uh, one of the ways in which we can bless people in need around us here is through the local food bank. Uh, my encouragement is if every single one of us just brought a tin or some kind of non-perishable food stuff, every single service, contributed with every other church to Christ Church where the food bank is, then that harvest, we can bless a whole load of people for months to come. It, it's so easy. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about giving there, the giving of ourselves, the giving of our lives for the sake of others. Uh, next week, um, Lydia's going to be speaking about getting out. Uh, how, do we, how do we shine as light? How can we live as salt in a, uh, a world that needs preservation and flavor um, so that we're not just keeping it all in here, but we're making a difference in our lives out there? That's, that's essentially, that is the, the sort of raw material of what we're about as a church. Uh, as talking last week, actually, just to help me, uh, um, whether I need to, if I just explain this again, or, or um, if you if you've got this, how many were here last week? You remember the the illustration about um, the slipstream in the truck? Do you mind put a hand up? This isn't. I'm not sort of trying to find out who wasn't here. It's not like a roll call teacher, or whatever. Just just so it helps me. Okay, that so not okay. So quite a lot of people. If I said um, bicycle drafting a truck, a, a number of you looking at me nonplussed. Okay, fine. We haven't got it on the screen. I had it last week. If you go onto YouTube, you just, if you type in cyclist drafts truck, and uh, quite a few things come up uh, down, the, down the side, but the, I think the first one that will come up is uh, about 40, 50 second worth clip of a guy on an autobine uh, uh, motorway in, the, in Europe, and he's overtaking this sort of um, quite big truck, and the truck is trundling along at 80 or 90 miles an hour. And as the guy overtakes, gradually overtakes the truck, you, re you realize that tucked in right behind, literally about you know, that far off the tailgate of the truck, there's a cyclist, a guy on a push bike. And because the truck is going at 80 miles an hour, he is completely slipstreamed, caught in the slipstream of the truck. So the cyclist is going at 80 or 90 miles an hour. Just, just look it up on YouTube. Um, in fact, at times, it's sometimes he's sort of pedaling, his legs just going round and round and round, but sometimes he's just, he's just free reeling. 
being carried along by the slipstream of the truck. And what I was talking about last time is that if we try, there's no way a cyclist can, there's no way you can cycle at 80 or 90 miles an hour. Chris Hoy can't cycle at 80 or 90 miles an hour in his own strength with his massive thighs. He can't do it. But if you stick me with my spindly little legs on a bike behind a truck going at 80 miles an hour, if I slipstream the truck, I can go at 80, 90 miles an hour. I, I can, drawing on the speed of the truck, I can go at that speed. And it was a metaphor last week for slipstreaming Jesus. He, he talks about it in agricultural terms. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Remain in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If, if Jesus was watching that YouTube thing and teaching us today, he'd say, slipstream the truck. I'm the truck, you're the cyclist. Slipstream me, you can go at 80 miles an hour. But if you come out of the slipstream, you, you're toast in the verge. You, you, you won't get above 30, 35, 40 miles an hour if you're lucky, and you won't sustain that for long. Slipstream Jesus. And I was talking with various people, said, oh, thank you, that's so helpful. But if I'm honest, Tim, and I could see what they were really saying was, I, but I'm, I've got a busy job, and I, I've got all these things I want to do, and friends I want to see, and relationships, and spare time, and I, I, I'm, I am so rammed in this frantic city my fear they didn't kind of put it like this but basically saying how do I know I'll be able in real in real terms how do I know I'll be able to sustain serving Jesus getting involved because I was inviting people last week as I will this week there are sheets on the tables either side here and as we come up for communion the invitation is maybe to consider responding in some way by getting involved in in things that bless church community and bless the local community that take the light and the love of Jesus Christ out there but but how do I know that I will be able to sustain that how do I know that I can keep in the slipstream and so what I want to do just for the next few minutes is to uh, approach that question from a from a slightly different angle to, to come at it from a different angle and don't worry I'm, I'm going to come on to, to Luke in a minute but I'm taking as my lead here an, a, a speech that was made by C.S. Lewis, who many of you will know is a Christian apologist, is an Oxford Don professor of English uh, through last century. Uh, and he gave a speech in the 1940s, which he then wrote up into an essay, which um, you can with a little bit of searching, it's not so easy, but you can find it online, and it's called The Inner Ring, written in 1944, The Inner Ring. And I was reminded of it at Focus, Johnny Gumbel, uh, so if you were focused and heard his, heard his talk, uh, he, he referred to that um, essay of C.S. Lewis in his talk at Focus. Basically, the premise is this. Lewis says that every single one of us in our different sort of uh, realms of interest, be it at work, be it um, in a kind of social club, perhaps it's at the gym, you could apply this to church. In, in, in wherever there are kind of people and we look to connect with them and engage with them, you, you gradually, almost imperceptibly, you become aware of an inner ring. We might rather sort of crudely refer to it as a clique, a kind of in crowd, and therefore by definition, an out crowd. In fact, Lewis argues that we, we become aware of this really, it's really hard to define. You know, you think about maybe uh, your gym, if you go regularly, or your place of work. If you 
think about it, the pe- where, the, where the people are, where they kind of congregate. You, you've, are you, would you say you're vaguely aware that there's a kind of inner ring? You don't know how to define it. it it's not set out anywhere. It's not in your sort of staff handbook or, or uh, in your contract. It, it's really difficult and nebulous, but it exists. And C.S. Lewis says that the, the way in which we become aware of, it, it's, of its existence is that we're not in it. So uh, let me, I mean, if, if I can, just since we're all here, why don't I use the church as reference? When you first came along here, you kind of walked in, you weren't, didn't know what was on the inside, you didn't know where to go, and you, you're, you're, you're highly attuned to who's around. And you see that there's you know, some sort of lads all around having a bit of a joke and a banter, and they all look uh, like they're, you know, they're very comfortable with each other, and it's, it's kind of, oh, and you think, oh, wow, okay, there's, a, oh, there's maybe some girls having a chat over there, or, or there's just people just kind of lounging on the sofa, and they look at home, and you think, wow, can I just come in as a newcomer and lounge on the sofa? No, maybe that's a little marker. They're in, and I'm not, I can't, I can't do that. As other people are kind of, you know, just joshing with the vicar, they're obviously in. <laughs> and you're attuned, you're working out the rules. You're working out that where, where is, in C.S. Lewis language, where is the ring? And, and, and kind of where is it defined? And who's in the ring? And who's out? And when you first come... When you first come, you're, you're kind of, you feel yourself out of the ring. And what you instinctively do, no one teaches you to do this. You instinctively do it. It's in every single one of us. Is you make an effort to get into the ring. Let, let me quote C.S. Lewis a little bit from this essay. You are never formally and explicitly admitted by anyone. You discover gradually it's almost indefinable ways and that it exists this ring and that you are outside of it there are what correspond to passwords but they are spontaneous and informal a particular slang the particular use of nicknames an elusive manner of conversation these are all marks of the ring but it's not constant and it's not easy even at a given moment to say who is inside and who's outside. Some people are obviously in, and some people are obviously out, but there are always several people on the borderline. But C.S. Lewis says this, one of the most dominant elements influencing people's lives is the desire to be inside the local ring and the terror of being left outside. C.S. Lewis is describing what is deep, it's created in us. It is the desire to belong. We all long to feel like we belong. And we will instinctively make every effort to ensure that we belong to a ring. Uh, If I can depict it, Actually, the sun is rather helpfully shining on my, on my sheet here. We, here we are. Uh, we've started work, or we've joined a club, or we're getting involved in the church. We, we want to connect. The vicar's at the front saying, get connected, get involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what we discover is, as I've tried to describe, as C.S. Lewis 
talks about in his essay, there's, there's, this, there's this ring. And I, I can't quite work it out. What's the language? What's the code? How? And so we make an effort to... Again, we, we come again and again. We get to talk to one or two of the people that uh, on the fringe that they were there last week. We even get to talk to one or two of the loungers on the sofa. Wow, we are really in. But we discover that actually, having got in, there's another circle. Because people are talking about things like life group leaders or PCC. When we become aware of this, there's suddenly there's this sort of jargon. We've got to sort of relearn. We've got all the work jargon and all the other sort of jargon. And suddenly there's jargon in church. But anyway, we break through. What's the P- oh, we discover what the PCC is. In fact, we even get to meet a member of the PCC. So now we're really in. We know someone on the PCC. But having, having done that, we discover, oh, no, there's another ring. Because, like, the PCC has uh, got people like the clergy on it. The vicars are on the PCC. And they seem to be quite important because they wear these ridiculous little white things and they're often on the stage or there's the worship leader or the member of staff <laughs> hushed tones we think oh my so we think okay so we spent some time we've been here a few months now and we get to meet a member of staff and it just proves all the more elusive the more we try to break into the rings the more we realize that actually We'll never get there. C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says that basically all human endeavor, all human effort, ultimately will not achieve its purpose. It, it will always be frustrated because it, it, it's, it comes from our own effort. All rings ultimately will not satisfy. They, they prove elusive. The reason is because... In, in each of these rings, just when we thought we'd broken through into these rings, we discover that actually they're populated by people just like us. They're populated by people who, just like us, are wanting to belong, are wanting the affirmation of acceptance. We're looking to them for acceptance, but actually they are looking to us for acceptance. It's like two people drowning in the sea, clinging to each other each looking for the other to rescue them, but actually both are drowning. The rings don't give us what we deeply need in terms of a sense of true belonging. Again, C.S. Lewis sums it up like this. He said, one of the permanent mainstrings of human action lies in its deceit. It inevitably fails to deliver what it promises. Thus, C.S. Lewis observes, the circle cannot have from within the charm it had from outside. See, when you're outside, the, the, the terror, as he puts it, the terror of the outsider, is that, is that the terror will be broken if I'm in. But when we get in, we realize that everyone else is just, oh, it, it, it wasn't as charming as I thought. It wasn't as intoxicating, as satisfying as I thought when I was on the outside. He says, uh, the reason is, you were not looking for virtue or kindness or loyalty or humor or learning or wit or any of the things that can be really enjoyed. You merely wanted to be in. Now, what he goes on to, to say in the essay is that all of these rings will fall short, but in the very center, there is 
an eternal and enduring ring. And theologians would refer to that as the epichoresis. And the epichoresis is, is two Greek words, choresis, choreography, dance. It's the dance together of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They, it describes the nature of their relationship. I sort of picture it as a, a kind of spiritual ring a ring of roses. Uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, sort of holding hands and spinning round, spinning round. But unlike, you know, a kind of primary school playground ring a ring of roses, which is itself a closed ring. You know, how many in it, and they, it, they link hands, it's closed. The Spirit in the epichoresis, the Spirit is the one who's constantly reaching out as he's spinning around with the Father and the Son, reaching out and drawing people in. He's drawing you and I in to the ultimate and the only meaningful ring or circle. Relationship with God the Father through the Son by the Spirit. That is what satisfies. That is what enables us to know that we belong. That is what calls us from the outside in. That, brothers and sisters, is the gospel. That is the good news. That you are not outside and that that deep desire sown in you at creation to belong is satisfied through the work of the father through the son by the spirit we can join in with the father the son and the holy spirit we can be held we can belong there is no greater sense of belonging there's no truer form of acceptance and to be in the inner ring of the Trinity. Here's the thing. This has been a journey. C.S. Lewis is, de is describing the kind of inevitable journey, the, the kind of power, the thing that, that propels us there is our deep need and desire to belong and it, it presses us to press into these rings they don't satisfy they don't satisfy they don't satisfy, until we come to meet father son holy spirit the ultimate eternal everlasting ring we've arrived but the impetus doesn't stop now there's just a new all it does is it redirects us instead of looking to go in from this place of belonging and security, we go out. It's not explicitly, explicitly described in Scripture, but if you, if you read behind everything that is said about God the Son, Jesus Christ, it, it, it is basically describing him going from here, that's his starting point. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Boom. Jesus belonged, and he knew he belonged. And so what happened? The word became flesh. Philippians 2, Paul, listen again, behind all the, the descriptions of Jesus, it's this trajectory, it's this journey out. Philippians 2, Jesus who didn't consider equality with God something to be held onto. He, he belonged, oh, he knew he belonged, he was there in the beginning. God said, let us make human beings in our image. Jesus is right there. He's always belonged. He's only ever known the security of the Father's love. But Paul describes how in Philippians 2, 
Or in Philippians 2, he describes how Jesus doesn't hold on to that. So filled with the Father's love, it, it drives him out. He made himself nothing, Paul tells us. Taking the form of a servant, he became obedient even to death on a cross. He could go through suffering. He could go through test. He could go through trial. How? Because he knew that he had no greater security from which he went, from which he came. So just linking the, the image of the essay and the thought of slipstreaming Jesus. If, if Jesus is on this trajectory at 80 miles an hour, for sake of argument, and if we're slipstreaming Jesus, he will carry us on the same trajectory. If, if we're starting here. Behind the question, let's be honest with ourselves, behind the question of, oh, I don't think I can, or I don't think I could, or I don't think, is possibly the question, are you still on this trajectory? Are you still looking to derive your sense of belonging and acceptance and significance from other people who themselves are also looking to reach for acceptance and significance and belonging? They won't be able to deliver that for you, nor you for them. You have to get to here. That's why we gather on a regular basis. That's why we worship. That's why the worship team, God bless them, come here at half past three to prepare every Sunday evening to be ready at five so that we can all be here to worship God in song, to allow our, the lives, the soil of our lives to be softened so that the seed of God's word can be planted so that it can root and shoot so that full of God's love, secure in who we are, we can slipstream Jesus out into the world. Reread the Gospels. Pick and choose a few of your favorite stories of Jesus and, and look behind the event and the activity. Look for the trajectory. Look for the, the, the course of travel. Here we are in... in uh, too much stuff on here now. Away with you, pens. Uh, oops. Here we are with Zacchaeus. Just a fairly familiar story. We had it read just earlier. Uh, verse 2, chapter 19. A man named Zacchaeus. He was a, and Luke tells us this. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And we read that little phrase. And we think, yeah, it's just Luke giving a little pen portrait of Zacchaeus. No, Luke is telling us an awful lot here. Okay. Nowhere else in Scripture, we, we know about tax collectors. They're, they're mentioned regularly. Tax collectors were part of life in Jesus' day. You, you know who the tax collectors were, basically? The Romans, who occupied Palestine and uh, Jerusalem and so on, they kind of strong-armed locals to go around collecting taxes on their behalf. So a tax collector is um, a, a citizen of Jericho or Jerusalem or wherever it is, who's basically working for the occupying force, working for the enemy. Tax collectors are traitors. Not only that, but the Romans, as long as they, you do your job as a tax collector, you collect the taxes and you pay them into head office, they allow you to take an element of commission. That's a sort of incentive. So tax collectors are taking your money. They're one of you, your own people, taking your money, paying most of it to the authorities, but pocketing a fair amount for themselves. So when you saw a wealthy tax collector, you knew where his wealth came from. Luke says he was a chief 
tax collector. What Luke is telling us is not only is he hated, he's really hated. Not only is he a traitor, he's a real traitor. He's completely betrayed his own people. Luke doesn't need to tell us that if he's a chief tax collector, he was also wealthy. Uh, we know that. So when Luke writes that, he's basically saying, he's underlining, of all the people that you don't want in your circle, of all the people that you don't want to belong, of all the people you don't want anything to do with, Zacchaeus is the one. He is the most hated and the most despised in this community. That's what Luke is telling us there. <laughs> it's kind of, he can't resist himself a little bit in quoting Zacchaeus. Uh, verse 8, second half. Lord, Lord, look, as part of his response, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, yeah, right. Like we know you have Zacchaeus. I'll pay them back four times the amount, which is way over and above what was legally required. Repentance has genuinely come. Salvation has come. And Jesus proclaims that. Verse 9, today, salvation has come to this house. Now, this is what to note. In the context of slipstreaming Jesus, in the context of getting connected and getting involved with our local community, in the context of making a difference, with this trajectory in mind, Jesus says, this man too is a son of Abraham. Remember Sunday school? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Front row know it. Let's all pray one arm, one leg. You, anyway, it's a song about how we all belong to God. Back in the day, he called Abraham. Abraham, I'll make your descendants like the sand on the seashore, like the stars in the sky. I'm going to grow my people through you. People who belong to God. Look what Jesus says about Zacchaeus, the hated, thieving traitor. This man, too, is a son of Abraham. He belongs. He belongs. Of all the people in that incident, of all the crowd, and Jesus sees him up a tree, and he stops, and he says, verse 1, Luke says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. He had a to-do list. He had an agenda. You think Jesus wasn't busy? He stops Zacchaeus. Now's the time. Come down. I'm, I want to be with you. For the Son of Man, Jesus referring to himself, came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus pauses, gives up time, redirects his schedule, finds the capacity, finds the love that is just stored in him. So that on his exit trajectory, on his outward trajectory, as he encounters Zacchaeus, he's got time, energy, capacity, focus, attention, presence to say you now. The Son of Man came to seek. That's a proactive word. It's not like the Son of Man was sitting there twiddling his thumbs, waiting for the poor to come to him, waiting for the least and the last and the marginalized. He went to them. You read Jesus all the time. Was he, how much time did he spend in the temple as a holy man, as a rabbi? Hardly any. Only just to go and give them a good old telling off and turn over a few tables, say, you've got it wrong. Where is he spending his time? As a Jew, he's going to Gentiles. As a man, he's speaking with women. As someone who's a who's kind of holy rabbi, teacher, he's touching lepers. He's going out. He's breaking taboos. He's, he's smashing through these rings to bring the love of God to the least and the last and the lonely. 
He's seeking them. Not just maybe they'll turn up, then we'll respond. Church, we've got to be about seeking. Seeking. If if we are genuinely Christian people, if, if if we're on this trajectory, keep going. But we're not a church. I don't know what we are, kind of a group of people. But if we get there, the fruit, the mark that we have arrived in the embrace of Father through the Son by the Spirit is that we will start to go down here. Because that's what slipstreaming Jesus looks like. And we will seek lost sons of Abraham, the hated ones, the despised ones. We, we, will, we will look to reflect, we will just reflect our local community. I, this is, I receive this as a challenge, and I, I'm, I'm bringing you in on the challenge. Just uh, literally um, yesterday, the Bishop of Kensington sent round a, um, they've got a, uh, a, they've done a survey of the whole Church of England, all the deaneries, that's a cluster of churches, and their BAME, that's black, Asian, and majority ethnic uh, breakdown. Hammersmith and Fulham Deanery is in the top 100. I think we're about sort of 50th. With a 40% BAME uh, allocation, uh, our, our population in Hammersmith and Fulham, 40% black, Asian, or majority ethnic, minority ethnic rather. We, we don't reflect that. And we've got a whole age range in our local community, but this service here, we, we really, I love, I love you guys to bits, but we're basically white, middle class, and between sort of 22 and 36. I'm the oldest guy here, and I'm not that old. And I'm quite young compared to a lot of people who live around here. We, we need to get out. We've got to seek. Seek. That's what Jesus de- said. That's what he did. Do you notice what he said to Zacchaeus? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Implication, it used to belong. Oh, I've lost my keys. Oh, I've lost my shoe. Oh, I've lost my bag. My bag, my shoe, my possession, something that belongs to me. I've temporarily mislaid it. I want to have it back. Something that's lost means it belongs to you. Jesus is saying Zacchaeus belongs to God. All of us, if I'd been there back then, I would have been like all the crowd, muttering, what are they doing with him? Zacchaeus, look at him, he made thieves off us. I'd have been like that. But God's perspective isn't my perspective. I need, I need to break through the rings to get to there, to see Zacchaeus as God and Jesus sees Zacchaeus. So that I can see someone like Zacchaeus and say, they belong. They're lost at the moment, but they belong. Someone stuck in a flat on Sullivan Court who hasn't seen someone for two or three days, hasn't had human contact for two or three days, made in the image of God. I believe in one sense, God says they belong. Go seek them. Go seek them. People who are reliant on the food bank to make ends meet, to get food in the belly of their kids for just week after week, they belong. People who are stuck in the trap of debt, and all the, the, just the, the, can, the money, just the borrowing, the credit, everything spiraling down. That sickening pit of the stomach feel as the bills come in and the bills come in. And the interest racks up. And the, I've got more and more to pay and less and less coming in. And the, and the kind of sickening fear. They belong. And we're called to seek them. And if we, if we slipstream Jesus... 
as he goes to them. He gives us the power, the inspiration, the ability to go where he goes. Slipstreaming Jesus is the only way in which we break the fear of being out. We access the strength that comes through knowing we belong, the acceptance. That's what breaks the fear of exclusion. It's the power of inclusion. And as we live, as we slipstream Jesus' inclusion, his invitation to be called children of God, as we live that, we take it to a lost, a broken, and a needy world. In just a few minutes, by way of initial response, we're going to enact a sustenance. We're going to take bread. We're going to take wine. This is Jesus who went all the way to death for us. He said, do this in remembrance of me. When you break bread, when you take wine, sustain yourself on the fact that I have already been there. I've been to death and beyond, through death, to resurrected glory. And that is our trajectory as we break through every single ring. One of these rings might even be death itself, a taboo, a fear. And we smash through it as we slipstream Jesus. That's, in effect, what we're saying. We're joining ourselves with you. We're in for the ride, the white-knuckle ride, Jesus. And I will trust, I'll trust you that as I sign up for a way in which I can express your love to others. It may be Fulham Good Neighbor. It may be Food Bank. It may be you've got other things God is laying on your heart. You want to call others in in order to make a difference out. Go for it. Do it. Trusting that he will sustain you. Someone said to me uh, during the week, but he's kind of, what if, I, what if I just, I don't sort of feel like it. I, I just feel tired. I feel snowed under. I've got so much on. Let me be real. There will always be times. I mentioned this like we, there will always be times. There are often times, I'll be honest, there are often times when I've got an evening meeting scheduled and I think, oh no. I, could, I, I said last week, confession. I, I, sometimes I think, or I secretly hope that the meeting will cancel. Someone on the email says, oh, so sorry, I haven't found a venue. Oh, I think, phew, thank goodness. We all, if we're honest, we all feel that. And yet, as we were saying last week, I've done talk to some people about, uh, with reference to life group. You often get the sort of five, six o'clock thing, oh gosh, have I got to go to life group? I don't want to go to life, oh God, life group. And you make yourself go. And the, the beauty of, the, of God's, the theologians call it his prevenient grace, his grace that goes before you've even asked for it, it's there, is that at the end of the evening, you never regret it. You make yourself go, but you never regret it. The Shakespearean actor, John Gielgud, was once asked uh, in an interview, he, he played you know, every single major character going uh, over a huge, massive, uh, very successful acting career. And he was asked, you know, you, you're kind of King Lear, you're Macbeth. Are there ever evenings when the curtain is just about to rise and you, you just think, oh, I just, I just can't be bothered. I just don't want to go on. And Gilgood was honest enough to say, yeah, there are often times when I just don't feel like being King Lear or Macbeth or whoever it might be. So the interviewer said, well, well what do you do then? And Gilgood said, as the curtains rise, I send myself on as Mr. Shakespearean method actor. 
And what I usually discover is that 10 minutes into the play, I've joined him. We won't always feel like serving God. I don't imagine that Jesus felt like taking a towel from around his waist, getting on his hands and knees and washing his stinky disciples' feet. But he did it to show that it was possible. I don't suppose he felt like going to the cross. I'm not sure many people felt like being crucified. Feelings sometimes don't really come into it. You just hang on to Jesus and trust that he will see you through. And the feelings follow. It's obedience. It's obedience. And the joy comes. The fulfillment comes. The satisfaction comes as we serve him. So get connected. If you're here, if you're new, um, then I, I hope we're kind of, it's becoming clear what kind of church we are. Uh, if you're here and you really don't want to connect, you kind of don't want to get involved, you want to give, then um, I'd invite you just to jump to number four of our things. Get out. I mean, you, you, will, you will not, you will be impoverished and we will be impoverished. If we're kind of, all we're doing is laying on tea and coffee and stuff for hangers-on. Hang on somewhere else. Because here at St. D's, we, we're serious about this, about, about connecting and getting engaged with the Father so that we can then connect and engage with our local community. So the sign-up sheets, if the Lord is calling you that way, to, to serve in some way, to be involved in some way, to be connected in some way. That's how you'll know his life coursing through yours. Let's sit in silence for a moment as we prepare for communion. beginning of our response to God who calls us to belong to him uh, just to say again if you're visiting or you're, you're perhaps a worship typically at another church you're really welcome to join us at the table here as we take the the bread and the wine uh, symbolized by this uh, wafer and this wine the wine is non-alcoholic um, and uh, our practice here is to take hold of a wafer don't, don't put it in your mouth hold on to it and dip it into the wine take the wafer and the wine together uh, it's uh, taking communion by intinction. So 